all right, this is going to tell you, or at least tell everyone else, about what generic age age range you are. How many of you don't know about a toy called Transformers? You don't know the toy. Miss Doris, okay. <laughs> we verified Miss Doris is older than 40. <laughs> Transformer toys. You can take them, and again, I, I know a little bit about them. I was, I think, in college or just graduating from college from when I remember them. And I remember those things where you just, you have them one way and you take them apart, but they still are together, I think, and then they turn into something completely different. Transformer toys. We're talking about having our minds truly transformed. And it's a hard thing to do. It's hard to tell someone if they've already been taught something that they believe to be true and have their minds changed. It's hard enough when we have what we call our traditions and hold them to be true and someone comes along and says, no, not true. And you're like, uh, it is true. Because we wouldn't have been doing it all these years otherwise. That happens. So here comes Jesus. He comes on the scene. And everyone has this perception about right and wrong as the Jews had. Particularly if you're very zealous for God. And he challenged the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and the like of those very traditions that were nothing more than the traditions of men. Now, I'm not talking about that as a sermon this morning, but what I am saying is it is very difficult to make that kind of a change. This morning, I'm going to use a video. It's not going to be now. It'll be later on in the sermon. And I tried to narrow it down as much as I could, but it's still going to be about six minutes long. I'm asking you to bear for those six minutes because it has a very poignant point. A very, very important point that will challenge possibly some of you to rethink how you view your mindset and how you look at things. Because what that video is going to do is point out the fact that we have prejudices based upon the mindset that has been embedded within us. And so I'm going to do that later on. But, um, and so I'm sharing that with you because, number one, I did not have time this morning with the running around and trying to get the things done um, to test the, the audio part of the video. But we got Magic Man Dennis working back there, so he'll get it uh, worked out for us. Um, that said, we're looking at a worldview. And your worldview that you have is based upon the environment that you've been raised in. And that environment has a lot to do with how you've been taught, what you've been taught. And that in turn affects your attitude and your heart. It affects the things that you say. And it affects the things that you do. And that brings forth this worldview. And on Friday, it was just uncanny in that while I was preparing um, for the sermon that it was going very well with the lesson at the jail. Because I'd mentioned to them uh, my illustration of what happened before I was a Christian and what happened after becoming a Christian. I was mentioning to them that I sat during my college days, after my college courses were over and I had some time to watch TV, I would sit at the feet of Phil Donahue. 
and learn as grasshopper would. And I would learn about what society was, was or what society would teach as right or wrong. And that's how I grew up. I also grew up with my Japanese culture from my mother and grandmother. I got to learn Japanese words, and the words were all about scoldings. <laughs> you know, and so I, don't touch, you know, close your mouth, all these Japanese words. I didn't learn about other words, but I, that's what I remember growing up. And so with that cultural mindset, it just, it affects how I was as a person. We are told in Luke chapter 6, and I want you to look, oops, see if I can bring this up over here. Go ahead. I want you to look with me at the text over here in Luke chapter 6 because it says a lot about your world view. I'm going to extrapolate from the context here in Luke 6. Jesus taught his own disciples and said in verse 43, A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. You can have... I've never known it the other way because I don't work uh, from a horticultural standpoint with trees or plants and what, what have you. But I've seen where good trees can go bad. I've never seen a bad tree, a really bad tree go good before. But I've seen good trees go bad where that good tree is bearing forth good fruit. Something happens to the tree and then it becomes a bad tree and thus in the future bear forth bad fruit. But the point of Jesus is if you are good, you're going to bear good fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit in verse 44. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks, and out of his heart, his behavior acts. That's adding to what he said, but it's still applicable. That's your worldview. And because of this worldview that you have, you have a sense of good or bad or right or wrong. Fun, not fun. Because of that worldview. That's why you have some that, that when you ask, well, do you like school? And maybe because of the environment at home and the environment in the school, kids will say, yeah, I love school. Most kids today, when you ask them, do you like school? They're like, oh, no way. I bet you if you went, I forgot the name of the school, but it's in Atlanta. If you went to this school, kids, you would love going to school. You know what the teachers let you do? Sorry, teachers. <laughs> this is going against the culture, going against the grain right now. The teacher at this particular school and their test scores have gone skyrocketing high. They're getting close to the 90th percentile on their standardized, te standardized tests. The teacher stands on the chair, stands on the desk, and sings the lesson to the students. And the students, when reciting, whether it's they're learning scientific facts or mathematics or history or whatever it is, they sing it, and they sing it in whatever tune they're able to understand it in, whether it's in a rap form, I guess if you're kind of a 70s and groovy type song singing. and I mean, they would sing it whatever they're able to sing it as, or they would learn it all together as a certain kind of a tune. And test scores go up. 
Kids love going to that school. Your environment has a lot to do with that. And so your environment affects your attitude and your attitude affects your behavior. We'll look at this chart that's going to show this to be the case in just a little bit. But my point being is you go from kids that said, I don't like school at all. And they have this worldview about math or about science or about whatever the course is based upon the whoever taught that class. Did they love it? Did they teach it well? Did it influence you to love and, and to learn it well? Things of that nature. And so that happens. So out of the abundance of the heart, how our heart our attitude, how our behavior and our actions all coincide to bring about what we call a worldview. And so today we have something called a quote-unquote Christian worldview. And what that worldview says is that you believe in the scriptures and the scriptures actually affect your life. How you view right and wrong and how you go about living corporately, that is among other believers and even specific within subcultures, within what's called Christianity to what we have as a group here. And then you have other type worldviews, whether it's going to be based upon the Vedic scriptures, whether it's going to be based upon the Quran, whether it's going to be based upon the humanist manifesto, whether it's going to be based upon whatever you want as a creedal belief system. All of these affect us as a worldview. And when we look at these worldviews, it says a lot about who we are as people. And so here's a chart that I came up with that shows this to be the case. And this is just solid. This, this is what happens in life. Your environment affects your beliefs. You cannot deny it. Whether it's to a small or great degree, it affects your belief system. Your environment does. If you are brought up and you fill in the blank with whatever de denomination in the form of Christianity, you're going to have, generally speaking, those views because it's been taught you. It's been your environment from the time you were very young. And so whether it's your school, whether it's home, whether it's the laws that you have, whether it's the, um, the organizations you've been a part of, all of the, what's called environment affects your belief about working hard or playing hard or doing well or just kind of, you know, blue-collar versus white-collar versus no-collar mindset, if you will. And then those beliefs then that you have, they affect your behavior. I mean, you always act out what you believe. Now, I say that as a generic statement. We don't always do that, right? You might be upset with someone and you may not know because it's rude to say something rude. You may not act on those beliefs. But you may have that within your heart. But that's what it does. It affects your behavior. It affects what you believe to be true, false, good, bad, whatever it is. And then your beliefs affect your, as I say, your behavior. Your behavior then turns around and it influences the environment that you are a part of. It does. I'll give you a very practical illustration. There's a conversation I had with Phil uh, about four years ago. For all that I cannot remember, I do remember this conversation. <laughs> and it goes like this. Whether the statement is right or wrong is beside the reality that Phil was sharing. He said, Mitch, the elders shepherd the church, but the preacher, because he's in the pulpit, has such great influence upon the culture of a congregation. And I didn't like what he said. I didn't like that reality, but it's true. It happens. 
So you take someone who's in the pulpit like this, using myself as that example, and by my attitudes, my beliefs, I can affect the environment here. Just like you can, to a lesser or greater degree, based upon how much from a leadership standpoint or an influential standpoint you bring to the table. We all influence each other in your own family, in your schools, at work, wherever, the neighborhood, because of your involvement or lack of involvement. And so if, if I were to leave, someone else comes here, that person would affect the environment of this congregation. When you are joined to the work here, you affect the overall work here for good or for bad. To be more productive or less productive as a total group. Every one of us, our behavior based from our beliefs affects our environment here. It's, this is truth. And so if any one of these things change, then the others change as well. And that's what we're talking about here. Because our behavior over time crystallizes because our belief has crystallized. Here's the point. I was mentioning to you how I had certain um, value systems because of my cu cultural background. I grew up with a Japanese mindset that said you never ask anyone for help. Never. It's not acceptable. Well, I learned it. It's not just Japanese culture. I've I've learned that here in the South. I learned it in the Midwest. I think it's just man-made, to be honest. But I grew up with a Japanese mindset that says you never ask for help, but you always gave it. You never ask for anything, but you always give. Well, that was before I was a Christian. The first time someone offered me uh, help, I said no. The second time, the hundredth time, I said no. That was before I was a Christian. When I became a Christian, I realized I can't do all this. And I read a scripture that says it is better to give than to receive. And someone said, but Mitch, if everyone's giving, who can receive? And I said, that's a good point. And I needed help at the time. And so I said, yes. Now I have no problem saying yes, as you know. <laughs> Some of you know me. <laughs> when you offer help, I'm always like, thank you. <laughs> But it took a while to change from one set that was so strongly embedded within me that I would never accept anyone's help to now to a crystallized point where I can receive help and be grateful for it. That's because it crystallizes. We're going to listen to this video. I know it's about six minutes long. I wish it could be shorter, but every second is important for it. I want you to sit. I want you to think about your worldview. And not only just your worldview, but very specific to the th ways that you think within the body of Christ, within your own family. How you relate to one another. Because this video is going to open your eyes, in my estimation, to help you rethink some things about your belief system. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill and I was Thanks. really proud of it. Everything changed though when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Salmon. 
first attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it. But that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic procession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're gonna try some trick or they're just gonna power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that, even if you want to. So here's what I did. It was a personal challenge. I stayed out here in this driveway and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks, but after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. It was really weird though. It's like there's this trail in my brain, but if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it, my brain would easily lose that neural path and jump back onto the old road it was more familiar with. Any small distractions at all, like a cell phone ringing in my pocket, would instantly throw my brain back to the old control algorithm and I would wreck. But at least I could ride it. My son is the closest person to me genetically, and he's been riding a normal bike for three years. That's over half his life. I wanted to know how long it would take him to learn how to ride a backwards bike, so I told him if he learned how to ride a backwards bike, he could go with me to Australia and meet a real astronaut. Are you gonna give up? No. Go ahead. This is how it starts. Look at this. This is such a big deal. Get up, you got it. Did you see his brain get it? So he, in, how many weeks have we been doing this? Two weeks? In two weeks, he did something that took me eight months to do, which demonstrates that a child has more neuroplasticity, am I even saying that right, than an adult. It's clear from this experiment that children have a much more plastic brain than adults. That's why the best time to learn a language is when you're a young child. All right, today's bike vlog. I can ride smooth, I can ride fast, 
I'm thinking the experiment is over. Okay, now I'm in Amsterdam, a city that has more bicycles than people. The question is, can I ride a normal bike now? I mean, I've spent all this time unlearning how to ride a bike. If I go back and try to ride a normal one, will my brain mess up? So I've tweeted a Smarter Everyday Meetup, if you will, and I'm gonna see if somebody brings a bicycle and I'm gonna try to ride a normal bike. This was one of the most frustrating moments of my life. I had ridden a normal bike since I was six, but in this moment, I couldn't do it anymore. I had set out to prove that I could free my brain from a cognitive bias. But at this point, I'm pretty sure that all I've proved is that I could only redesignate that bias. So what you're not seeing is just a group of people here looking at me, looking at the strange American <laughs> that can't ride a bike because they think I'm dumb. But I'm actually two levels deep into this because I've learned and unlearned. All right. After 20 minutes of making a fool out of myself, suddenly my brain clicked back into the old algorithm. I can't explain it, but it happened in a very specific moment. <laughs> I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm back. Oh, it clicked, it clicked. hold it, it clicked. I got it, I got it. Okay, there it is. There was the moment. Okay, I can run a bike. I tried to explain this to the people around me, and they just didn't get it. They thought I was faking the previous 20 minutes, and I couldn't get anybody to believe me. That looked like I faked that, didn't it? Yeah. Just a fake. You think I'm faking. You don't move. That's so weird. You're like, You think I'm lying, don't you? I'm not lying. I felt like the only person on the planet who had ever unlearned how to ride a bike, and I couldn't articulate it to anyone because everybody just knew that you can't forget how to ride a bike. So I learned three things from this experiment. I learned that welders are often smarter than engineers. I learned that knowledge does not equal understanding. And I learned that truth is truth, no matter what I think about it. So be very careful how you interpret things because you're looking at the world with a bias, whether you think you are or not. I'm Destin, you're getting smarter every day. Have a good one. All right, huge point in that video. If you're going to be transformed, we're told in Romans chapter 12, our minds need to be renewed by the Spirit of God. Okay? What is so important about this, brethren, is when we're going out and we're spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world, the world has a vantage point that is so different. If your life is fully embedded in Jesus Christ, it looks the opposite. It's an upside-down world for people that we're reaching the gospel to. And I hear sometimes from us, why can't they get it? The words are right in front of their face. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. What happens if that worldview is looking at it from a standpoint that's teaching them you don't have to be? What happens when you have a worldview that says, I have to earn my salvation, even when reading the words that it's a gift? Those worldviews or those views of scripture and the mindsets that we have it's hard to get rid of them today we live in a very politically correct society right so there are certain taboo words that a few years ago no big deal i remember growing up when the older generation would say to the younger generation the older men would say to the younger men son no big deal there was no offense taken. Today, it's almost like, oh, you think you're better than me, you're looking down upon me. I find it endearing when someone says, son, let me come tell you some things. Or we use other words. 
that are no longer acceptable. We do that. And for those that have been embedded with it for so many years, they cannot get over. Why is this such a big deal? It's a different mindset. So when it comes to reading passages like Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in this case, chapter 15, verse 33 and 34, here's what we're told. We're told that your environment has a lot to do with your belief system. How many of you know of this brother in Christ? His name is Casey Head. He preaches the gospel. I don't know where we're at, but he's somewhere here, I think, in the south, or just moved out of the south some years back. Anyway, Casey had been preaching at least 10 years now, but he was very involved in debates. And, and I'm sharing with you what he has made public last week, and it's gone all over the country now. And anyway... In preparation for his debate, he woke up from early morning to late at night, and all he did was study, study, study. But while he was studying, he would have these Bible studies with, I forgot the name of the student group um, at the college campus, but basically a number of them were atheists or believed in evolution. And he would use the studying that he had done and to, to basically debate with them, talk with them, better understand their, their vantage points and what have you, while he's preparing for the debate. The debate came and it went. And when it went, it was like his body collapsed. Like from morning to night, every day for all these hours. And he was emotionally, spiritually drained. And in his own moment of weakness, because he was so drained from that experience, he began to have self-doubt about his own faith. Here's a person who loves the Lord, but a lot of his time was spent not in this word, but in the words of men. And it caused him to doubt. His environment affected his belief system. His belief system affected his daily walk with Jesus Christ. He was going through the motions preparing sermons, going through the motions preparing Bible class material. But his heart was far from it. And it wasn't until he had his aha moment, if you will, and realized certain things about what his struggle and weakness was that he was able to deal with. And furthermore, when he was able to say, brethren, here's my crisis of faith that I was going through, of which he shared last Sunday. And if you look on Facebook, look for Casey Head. He probably has it on his own personal page. I'm, I hadn't checked. I listened to his sermon. Y'all could do well to, to hear it. If you want, I'll post it on my page or ask him to share it. When you have your environment that is of the world, like the women that we're talking to at the jails on Sundays and on Fridays, we tell them constantly they have to change their environment. But brethren, we got to look at our own selves. What environment do you have in your home, in your ears, in your eyes? Because pornography is huge and it's in the Lord's church. Fraud, it's huge. It affects the Lord's church. What things are in your environment that are affecting you? Because if you're going to be truly converted to Jesus Christ, your environment needs to change. We are told that evil company corrupts good habits. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says. These are very important for us. We talk about telling our children, we want you to have a wholesome environment. 
But are we giving them that wholesome environment consistently? Because we want them to be given over to Jesus Christ. Send them to the world where they have fellowship, not interaction with. We cannot leave this world. But fellowship where they join themselves to the world and enjoy the world. You become enemies of God. And your belief has got to change. What the world says is right in Jesus Christ may be wrong and often is. And so today we have an ever-changing standard of morality. What was right a year ago was no longer right today or vice versa. But in Jesus Christ, we have solid ground. We have the solid rock. And if we spend time, David was talking about prayer. If you're going to be transformed, spending that time. There's your environment. Fellowship with God. That environment affects your beliefs. And your beliefs are going to affect your behavior, which includes your speech. And that's what we were told in verse 34. Have a sober mind. That's why I had Ben to read out of the New American Standard Translation. It says, and have sober minds. Because that will allow you to change your belief to one that is consistent with the teaching of Christ. And it will affect your behavior. I have no problem. I know some brethren have a problem with me sharing my past. I'll say it over and over again, not for any self-gratification or glorification, but because many don't want you to be used as an example. So I use my past of being in the world to show you what it's like when you're in Christ, it changes. To go from living an immodest, immoral, ungodly speech, ungodly behavior, to now, I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. And while not perfect, I live in the light of Him. Just as you live in the light of Him. The behavior changes because the mind has changed. The heart is the focus. The heart is that which can go against the environment. It says, this is the environment that I am, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And eventually, that environment is going to change. I don't know if I shared this with you. I've shared it with others. But without being able to articulate this and wanting to give my life to the Lord, the opportunity was that when I finished college, and I'd just become a Christian for one year. I'd only been in the Lord for one year. But I had a job waiting. I did not have to sign any, well, I had to sign papers. I was going to be a school teacher. I was going to teach special education at the high school level. And I was going to be the head wrestling coach. I was offered that as a freshman in college, and it still stood as a senior in college. I was very grateful for that because a lot of people don't get to have jobs right out of college. But I had a sister in Christ who loved me so, and she said, Mitch, you know where your past is. You've shared your past. I'm encouraging you to change your environment because if you go back home, that was the environment you had before being in Christ. And I was just a babe in Christ. And I made the decision I needed to change my environment permanently. If you want to be converted to the Lord, you have to take the steps by faith on your end. God can give you his gifts. But by faith, you've got to be willing to say, Lord, 
I give up my life. I want to give you mine. And when you're able to do that, then you can serve him. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's a different environment now. You're not the ruler of your life. Jesus is. And when that's the case, you make different decisions because you have different belief systems. And because you have the belief system, you affect the environment, whether it's your own family, whether it's your friends, whether it's a congregation like here in Franklin. And that's what we have. In Luke chapter 15, you look at that prodigal son. If you go to, back to the passage, remember, his heart had already changed. And remember when I tell you, when your belief changes, your environment is going to change. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Well, that was not the environment he was raised in. But it, because of his mindset, I want out of this house. I want to be independent. I want to live on my own. I want to sow my wild oats. And that's exactly what he went to do. He changed his environment because his belief had changed. And when that happened, his attitude and everything was different. He goes off to a faraway country, according to the parable, and he sees the fruit of his existence. Spiritually bankrupt in the parable. Because the parable, he was physically, monetarily bankrupt. And then he looked back at what he used to have, the environment he used to be in. That's called repentance. He wanted to go and apologize to his father. And he did so when he came to his father. He said, Father, I sinned against you in heaven. You see, he changed his heart again. And because of that, his behavior changed and the environment changed. Here's where it comes where the rubber meets the road for us. In the body of Christ, we have those, including our visitors, who have all kinds of backgrounds. We have all kinds of baggage, some of which we want to keep secret. And all of that plays into part whether how much I'm open or closed to each, each of you here. And with these beliefs, belief systems, you are in here, and you have your belief system, and I have mine, and I'm not so sure if I'm going to be accepted because of my belief system. Our goal is we want to have the mind of Christ. Our goal is to live to the glory of God through the teachings of Jesus Christ. And with that, we all change. We all need to be conformed or transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Romans 2, I mean Romans 12, verse 2. But when it comes to our daily fellowship with one another and how we deal with one another, that's where, remember that mindset, I know what to do and I know how to do it? You're going to have brethren that come out of situations in their life that are very difficult, very stressful, even traumatic. How are you going to deal with them? Because if you don't know their background, you don't know their story, you may not be as compassionate toward them. And Jesus was compassionate. Remember the story where the woman was caught in adultery? And Jesus said, go and sin no more. Remember that one? Well, last week I used Luke chapter 7, verse 36 following. And here is a woman who was a known sinner. Jesus did not say, go out and sin no more to her. 
He said, your faith has saved you. Read that in verse 39, well, verse 40 of Luke 7. Your faith has saved you. He turned around, he, he scolded, he rebuked Simon the Pharisee. Because the mindset of Simon was not the mind of Christ. The mind of Simon was not the mind that God wanted to have. God wanted Simon, Jesus wanted Simon to have his mind transformed, to be made like his. He came to seek and save the lost. How do you treat those who you're trying to reach the gospel to that do not have the mind of Christ? Jesus said to these Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, to the Jews, you proselytize all these Gentiles. You make them a Jew. And when they become like as a Jew, you make them twice the son of Satan. The son of hell. Because you're turning them into yourselves and not into the one who gives you life. You need to be very critical in self-evaluation over the beliefs that you have and how you're going forth in your service to the Lord. Because if you're going to be truly conformed and have that mind renewed, make sure it's being renewed to look like Jesus Christ and not your form and making him into your idol, if you will, of some imagination that you have. Very different. That's where true conversion comes in. I want to say this as the last point. If you're here and you have all these teachings that you've been kind of holding on for many years that teaches you what is right or what is wrong, the good news that Jesus given to you is this. While you're a sinner, he's come to save you. Either you accept that belief or you don't. I mean, that's the way it is in this world. And Christianity is, is getting less and less popular by the boatload. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. That doesn't sound like good news to many in this world. But to those who are desperate for salvation, desperately needing, saying, I am lost in this world. I don't know who I am, where I'm going. All I know is I don't like my life right now. Jesus said, I am your answer. I came to heal the sick. But if you're going to let him in your life, It's going to be on his terms, not yours. You can voluntarily give up your life. But if he's going to be Lord, you have to give up your will. And have his spirit and his will enter into your life. That's where you'll be converted. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's the promise that Jesus gives. If you accept that promise, you believe that promise, you're going to act on it. And your environment will change because the Spirit of God, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is given to you as His gift. When that happens, you're on your road. You're on the road to walking with Jesus Christ. And why not come to Him? Why not turn to Him? Why not have Him as your God and your Savior? You can have that right now. Or if you need to return to the Lord, brethren, we'll pray for you. Use this opportunity right now as together we stand and sing.